Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me. This is not part of my message tonight, but the Lord just wanted me to add this. Something that I overlooked on Sunday. Maybe I'll add it the next time I preach on Ramah. But in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, now according to, I'll just read this from the Rotherham translation. So you'll get the idea of of what is in this text. Uh, Verse 1 and verse 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth had become waste and wild and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God was, was brooding on the face of the waters. Notice that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But I don't believe he created it without form and void. Amen. This verb that's translated was in other places in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. This, this Hebrew word is also translated became. That puts a whole different look on this scripture. If you think about it, God, God never created, God, the Bible says God's not the author of confusion. And the picture of the earth in verse number two is a, is a picture of, con, of confusion. In fact, the way this reads in the, in the Hebrew, and I just say this because it's kind of funny sounding, the earth was tohu vabohu. I may not, I may not, I might not be the greatest Hebrewist, but that's about how that sounds. The earth had become tohu vabohu. The word tohu is translated without form. And it, the, it is translated here without form. The full definition of this word is waste, vain, confused, desolate, and worthless. Well, doesn't that just sound just like something God would do? You can answer. Obviously not. And the word that's, trans, that's but the bohu, is, that's translated void, means empty, means a vacuity, an indistinguishable ruin. So if we read it that way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the, or according to Rotherham's, he brings out that, that uh, uh, causative sense here of this verb. Now, the earth had become, he said, waste and void. You could say waste, vain, confused, desolate, and worthless. An empty vacuity, an indistinguishable ruin. Well, I won't go into all how, how that happened. That's not the, the uh, point of my message tonight. But this pictures sometimes, uh, this sometimes is a pretty good picture of our life. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like, this is, my life is completely ruined. I'm in the middle of the biggest mess. A big, you might be, you might be uh, in a sense of desolation. You might be living in a sense of, of doom and destruction and nothing's right and things can't go. It's just an indistinguishable ruin, worthless problem you're in. But notice what God did. In, in facing that, it says darkness was on the face of the deep. If you go on down in reading this, it says in verse 4 that God saw, well, first 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4 says, God saw the light, that it was good. He divided the light from the darkness, called the light day and the darkness night. And then in verse 6, he said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, that is the heavens, and divided the waters which were under the firmament, Firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, so it was. So there was a sky above the earth, 
but the earth was covered in water. And it was darkness and destruction. Something had happened, which we won't go into. I'll just let your curious mind uh, think about that. But the point I want you to see is the application in our lives. When we're facing a, a situation where you know, you know what the sunlight's like. You know what, it be, what it's like to be above the water. You know what it means, what it's like to be in victory. But suddenly something's happened and it's turned your whole world upside down. That's a picture of what happened here. But notice the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Then God said. And that's what I was talking about Sunday. The importance of speaking, taking the word of God and speaking it over your situation. And notice when God said, which I I personally believe this was Jesus actually speaking. Now, he didn't have the name Jesus because he hadn't been born in Bethlehem. But Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They always existed, coexisted together. And we've read that the whole worlds were created by him, through, by Christ and through him. Well, he had to have been involved in creation. And not only that, it says that, the, that everything that exists is uphold, upheld by his word today. So I think this was personally Jesus. When it says God said, I think that was God the Son, but that's just my opinion. But the point is, God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. In your situation in life, when you're facing trouble, you've got to speak the word over that situation because the Spirit of God is hovering over your ruinous situation. Whatever, whatever kind of trouble you're in, whatever kind of difficulty, difficulty you're facing, the Spirit of God is just, He's just right there hovering over there, just waiting for you to say the right thing, to speak His Word. And that's when the Spirit of God moves. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. Turn with me tonight for tonight's message to Mark chapter 4. Mark, the fourth chapter. Hallelujah. Now, I, I have taught this lesson before, but I made the mistake of not putting a date on it, and I don't remember when this was. And it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago, but as I poured over this, I thought, well, Lord, I, don't, I think I've done that recently. The Spirit of God definitely impressed upon me to minister this tonight. So, I, like I said, I don't know how long ago it's been because, you know, when you preach every week, you lose track if you don't write the dates down. I've only been doing this for 42 years, you know, and so you kind of lose track of things. But uh, I want to talk about tonight, uh, really I've, I've entitled this, before I entitled it Lesson, Lessons for the Storms. But in light of what we've been talking about in recent services, what I've been preaching on, in, uh, in uh, the things God has prepared for us, the things God has prepared for you, we, we pointed out that there's a plan for your life. God has a plan for every life. We all came to the front. You all came to the front and met me and uh, almost every person in the building to consecrate themselves to, to God's plan for your life. God has a will for each one of us. He has a, it, it, Paul described it as a course to follow and a race to run. And, uh, now, that doesn't, now, in saying that, you have to, you have to qualify that for a bit, or a little bit, because uh, particularly when people are young in the Lord, they think, well, God has a plan for my life. It must mean that I'm going into the ministry. We should realize that the vast majority of Christians will never be called into full-time ministry. That's, that's just not the, that's not the, there's no evidence of anything like that in the, in the New Testament. Some people are called into, into full-time, five, what we call five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But, but everybody in the local church is called into a ministry of helps. I said everybody. Well, I don't think I have them. Well, you're just disobedient. But other than that, you're a pretty good person. <laughs> everybody in the local church is called to serve in the ministry of helps. And, and, and that's genuine ministry. And then outside the church, we're all called, uh, you know, in different capacities in life. 
I've always taught where Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The way I've presented that all of these years and the way this is real to me is go into all of your world. Doesn't necessarily mean get on a ship and go across or an airplane and fly across the ocean someplace like Jackie has gone, you know, last week. Go into all of your world. What kind of world do you, uh, are you in? Are you in the world of, of construction? Are you in the world of education? Are you a teacher? Are you in the world of, of uh, business, business management? Uh, are, you in the business, if you're, are, are you in the world of finance? Are you a banker or a, an accountant? Whatever your world is, go into that world and present the gospel to the people in that world because there are people in that world that need to hear what you have and, and there's a plan for you. To accomplish that, amen? So uh, I want to kind of repurpose this message in light of that. Maybe this is why the Lord uh, had me go over this again tonight. Let's, let's look at, did I tell you where this was? Mark 4, look at verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when it says the same day, the day he's referring to was the day that Jesus taught all day long uh, on by the seashore. If you go back to the verse, very first verse of chapter 4, said, again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it, sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was, uh, was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and so forth. So it goes and, and tells us the parables and the explanation of the parables and so forth. So Jesus ministered virtually all day. And, uh, and then we, we come to verse 35. He said, on that same day when evening had come. Now that can refer to just before uh, sunset or it can refer to late afternoon. Sometimes it's used both ways. Uh, so when the late, late, latter part of the day had come, he said to, to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And, you know, that simply means that they didn't make any preparation. Jesus had been ministering all day. There's not any reference to, to him or the disciples having eaten. Or, or anything like that. And they took him just like he was. In other words, they didn't give him any time to refresh himself. There's no indication that they had food or even, even prepared to take food. This was very abrupt. Jesus kind of sprung this on him and said, let's go to the other side. So they just grabbed him and took him. And, uh, and that'll become interesting in a, in a few minutes. But it says that uh, uh, when they left the multitude, they took him. And other little boats were also with him. Anything God ever calls you to do, somebody will help you. Somebody will help you. Anything you're called to do, if God calls you, and he does, whatever he's called you to do, he calls somebody to help you. Amen. Every person in full-time ministry, every person in a five-fold ministry recognizes that they cannot do the work by themselves. They have to have somebody to help. Well, it's the same way in, in your situation in life. God can send co-workers to you. He can send family members to you, friends. There are people God calls to help you. You have to be open to that help. You have to let people, don't, don't be so uh, self-reliant that, you know, I, I can do everything. I'm, I'm super mom. Well, no, you're probably not. You may be a great mom, but you need help. You, you might be a great business person, but there are things you don't know. There are things that you need help. Just know that whatever God has called you to do and whatever he has sent you to accomplish, he has provided somebody to go with you. Amen. That's comforting to me. I know as a pastor, Pastor Angela and I, we would never have been able to accomplish what we've accomplished uh, without people that would stand with us. Amen. I, I remember so vividly when we first started this church in 1980, uh, no one in the, we had a, just a very young congregation. We started with 23 people and that was 10 adults and 13 children. And that included our family of four. And uh, there really wasn't a lot of understanding in that, in that 
early congregation of really being a help to the pastor. Basically, people were, they had never heard the word of faith before or just very recently. So they were coming and they were just feeding on, on, on the revelation that, had, that they could see was, would change their life and it was changing their life. But we didn't have uh, much of a, of a sense of people saying, didn't really have any of people saying, Pastor, whatever you need, can we help you? Can we, can we do things for you? Can we you know, help you carry this? Can we uh, help you fulfill what God's called you to do? And, and, and I don't say this to, to, uh, to leave anybody else out, but you know, the first time something happens to you, you usually remember that when it's something really important. God sent Mark and Leslie Morgan to us. We, we were uh, young parents, we were 28. I was, huh? I was 27 and you were 27, 26. And the kids were 10 and 6. So we had small children. And we enrolled them in school in High Springs. And there were things that, that we needed as ministers. We needed to get refreshed. But we didn't have any way to get away. We didn't have any money. The church was just just barely, you know, just barely giving us food to eat, honestly. And, uh, and I had it in my heart to go back to Rama for homecoming in 1981. We graduated in 80 and homecoming was, you know, the next year. And so we started making our confession. We're going to homecoming. We're going to homecoming. Bless God, we're going. And the closer we got, the less likely it looked we could go. And there were just insurmountable things. You know, we, we had children in school. We had... You know, we didn't have the money to go. And, and, and so our confession began to wane. It was sort of like, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. I guess we're not going. <laughs> and, um, and so we didn't go. So the next year when it came around, I told my wife, I said, we're going to Tulsa for a homecoming this spring. If we have to hitchhike out there, we're going. Well, we had two children. We couldn't bring them along on a hitchhiking trip, you know. And uh, so we really didn't know what to do. But we, I, I, I made up my mind. I was not going to change my confession. I, I said, we will go if we have to hitchhike. If we have to walk out there, we're going. I don't know what we're going to do with the kids, but we're going. And uh, Mark and Leslie Morgan had started attending the church just, you know, just before then. And uh, they came to us. Nobody ever, I never even thought of anything like this. They said, Pastor... Anytime you feel like you need to go anywhere, don't worry about your boys. They're staying with us. Uh-uh, no, they're staying with us. It was that kind of a thing. There's no discussion. They're staying with us. Now, Pastor Angela worked with Leslie and invited her to church. So, so we knew them on, on that basis. They didn't just come into the church, you know, uh, cold turkey. And we didn't know them. We knew them. And uh, so they said, you know, anytime you're going anywhere that you need to, 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 to go, don't worry about your kids. We'll take them to school. They had, Joan wasn't born, just Steve, and he was uh, two years old, three years old at this time, I guess, when they came to us. And they said, you know, we'll take your kids to school. We'll take care of everything. And I thought about that afterwards many times. I thought, you know, if, if, if they hadn't, even if they had come to us and said, Pastor, if you ever need to go anywhere, just let us know. Just ask us, and if we're available, we'll keep your kids. I would have never asked them. I just, that's just not my personality. I just wouldn't have asked if it had been put on that, uh, that type of proposal. Ask us if we're available. I'd have never asked. But they said, don't ask us. Just let us know and give us the dates, and, and we're going to be ready. We're taking care of your kids. Over the years, they took our kids to school. They took our kids to, uh, to activities when, when we needed them to, when, just when we were out of town. They took them to family reunions of their own family reunions because they had something to do. They said, whatever we're doing, we'll just include your kids in it. They took them to, to outings and things with their family, people we didn't even know, but they took them. And uh, they were a tremendous help to us. And it, and it, it strengthened us. It gave us uh, a sense that, you know, God is actually sending somebody to help us. And it wasn't, you know, too long after that, the Doug and, and Lori Brown started coming to church. And, and these two couples, now there are a lot of you today that help. Not trying to, but we're not as needy as we were either. 
we were very needy. But Doug and Lori Brown and Mark and Leslie Morgan very early on caught the vision of this church and they have been such strong supporters, just stalwart supporters of ours of the year. And I, I just think it's right to acknowledge them. And uh, it's not that they're better than anybody else, not that we love them more than anybody else, but I tell you what, those things mean something to you. And so what I'm saying to you is whatever you Whatever God calls you to do, he will provide the right people. Just, just know it. Just know it. It, it, it may feel like, uh, maybe, say for instance, uh, 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 Rebecca and John, when they started this ministry, it might have seemed uh, that they have, it might have seemed overwhelming. How will we ever do it? But God is bringing people to help them because they stepped out to do what God said and he is providing help. And so that's the way God, you can be sure, you say, well, I don't have a whole lot to do. I'm just, you know, I just have this little, you know, assignment from the Lord. If you have an assignment from the Lord, I guarantee the enemy will challenge you. But God will send relief. Amen? Amen. Uh, Stay focused, excuse me, stay focused on your understanding of God's will for your life. It's the second point. Stay focused. First point, if God sends you, he'll provide for you. Second point is stay focused on God's assignment for your life. Don't let, don't let uh, circumstances or doubt or anything else uh, stand in your way because when you start embarking on, when you're conscious, let me say it this way, when you're conscious of God's will and you're intentionally setting out to do something that you feel like he's called you to do, the devil will challenge you. He will, he will throw stumbling blocks. He will throw uh, problems in your way. He will try to stop God's assignment on your life. And that's when it's important to stay focused on what he has said. Stay focused to, on that witness that you have in your spirit. What has God assigned me to do? Because if you don't stay focused, you, you'll, you'll be defeated early on. They, that's something that the disciples didn't do. They didn't stay focused on his assignment. Jesus didn't say, go out into the middle of the, of the Sea of Galilee and die and drown. He said, let us go to the other side. In this situation, as we go into it, we'll see that he rebuked them because they didn't stay focused on their assignment. They lost track of the fact that, they were, that Jesus said, go to the other side. That means... I'm going. That's what happened to me that first year out of out of Bible school. I I lost track of my assignment because the Lord had put it on my heart to go. But when circumstances didn't work out and didn't look good, I gave it up. I I could have had somebody helping me then if I'd have stayed in faith, but I didn't stay in faith. And uh, so uh, stay focused on what the Lord has said to you. Amen. Now, like I said, they took him. It says as he was. Uh, and, and uh, other little boats were with him. So Jesus had no rest. He had no refreshment. No time was taken for, for any of that. And uh, an unexpected storm arose. Now, these disciples, uh, many of them were fishermen. Sons of Zebedee, Peter, James, John, sons of Jonah. These were all uh, men, these were all mariners. These were all commercial fishermen. The Sea of Galilee, and you can look this up even now, even to today, the Sea of Galilee is prone to storms. These, the winds come down through these mountain gorges and, and sometimes uh, hit the water and, and sudden storms had come up. That should not have been a surprise to the disciples. They had been out there often, particularly leaving in, in late in the day like this. Uh, so they were accustomed to dealing with storms, just in the natural. They, they had some skill. They couldn't have been, they couldn't have survived in their, in their field as commercial fishermen. Well, that Captain Kirby can tell you, you have, if you're going to be out on a boat for any length of time, you have to learn how to deal with what comes up. And experience, you start learning. But this was something unexpected. This was a storm of epic proportion because they didn't know what to do. It was of such great magnitude, it says that uh, the storm came up, a great windstorm arose, and waves beat into the sea so that it was already filling. 
And we'll come back to this in a minute, but the, go back a little bit. But the, it eventually says that they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is recorded in Matthew's gospel. It's recorded in Luke's gospel. The, one of the other versions, maybe both of them, say they came to him and said, Lord, help us. We're, 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 we're perishing. This, was, this tells me they were in a situation they'd never seen before. Tells me they were they were facing something that they didn't know how to how to get out of. So this was something very unusual. You know, there are minor tests and trials in life, but then there are major tests and trials. And if you haven't faced a major test or trial yet, you just haven't lived very long. Amen. I have good news for some of you young people. <laughs> there are some major tests and trials ahead for you in life. That will be of epic proportion that you won't know. It'll be different than anything you've ever tried to navigate before. Amen. And uh, so, you know, this, this terrible storm came up. And uh, the waves, it says the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Now, you've heard me say before that, that he was on a cushion, probably a cushion. But I have, a, I have a copy of a Rembrandt painting over my fireplace in my library. And it's a Rembrandt, uh, uh, Christ, on the storm on Galilee, or Christ on, you know, calms the storm or something, what the name is. It's a very famous uh, painting that ha- incidentally had, was stolen back in the 90s and it's never turned up since. Its value has gone way up. But uh, I, have a, I have a print of it. And I was looking, I was standing there today looking at that print And Jesus is in the stern of the boat, but he's sitting on the floor. Because there was a little bench. And I I don't know if Rembrandt uh, studied into how these boats were constructed. I don't know if there was based on any uh, any knowledge like that. But the the sternsman would sit in the back of the boat, evidently, according to this picture. Which side, if I'm looking from the the stern, looking forward, Kirby, which is, what's the right side? Starboard. He's the... So in this picture, the, uh, the person holding the, 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 the stern, the boat, the rudder, uh, the rudder, excuse me, the rudder of the boat, he's sitting on like a little half bench, like in the corner of the boat. And this rudder is in the middle. Now, I don't know if, if there was a bench that went, you know, on both, both sides. I don't know why you just do it from one side. But he's sitting on a, a, a small bench uh, uh, and he's got this, this rudder in his hand that he's trying to hold on to. And Jesus is sitting in the floor and all the disciples, they're all up and one of them's puking over the side of the boat. You know, it's a, it's a really cool, cool painting. And, and, there's, and there are cables and ropes whipping around in the wind and it, it's a beautiful painting. And, uh, and, and they're all, you know, just scared out of their minds and Jesus is just sitting in the floor. So maybe he had his head lean, lean, leaned over on this pillow, on this bench, I don't know. But he was asleep. Now, this is such, to me, this is such a great picture. We know all about the divinity of Christ. We know he, was, he is, was, and is God. They didn't know this at the time. In the fourth chapter of, of, of Mark, they didn't know who he was. Uh, they knew he was a miracle worker. But they did, there was very, the, the idea of his divinity was still kind of cloud capped. You know, it's kind of, they didn't see all that. And though he was God, this is a picture of the fact that though he was God, he was still very much man. Because why was he asleep? He was asleep because he was exhausted and probably hungry. And the day had been long and he, had, he was worn out from teaching and, you know, dealing with the multitudes and as, answering questions, you know, personal interviews, all the things that happened that day. And uh, uh, it's just a beautiful picture of Jesus in his humanity and yet he's not worried. So he wasn't, wor- he wasn't not worried because he was God. He was very much a man who was not worried. In every situation in life, we can be at, we can be at peace. Now, it, it'll, it'll take knowing who you are. Amen. It'll take knowing who God is and being confident in who God is. But Jesus, 
He, there, was no, there was no fear. He was in perfect rest. Faith is unmoved by circumstances. Now, I, can conf- I have to confess, there have been a lot of times when I've been moved by circumstances. Not just that one time in 1981. Been a lot of times when, when circumstances have pushed me off of, of the foundation that I should have stood on. But over time, as you learn to walk with the Lord, you learn more and more about how to face these things. And if you're going to become mature in God, you have to come to a place that even when, the, the, when, even when those unexpected hurricanes of trouble come into your life, that you have made up your mind, I will believe God. I will not turn to fear. I will not let the devil move me off of my purpose. Because again, in, in this context, it's all about moving you away from your assignment. And the devil, if he can't move you with little things, he'll try something bigger. Well, you're up to the, you're up to the task. Now, they made a big mistake. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's not a good place to start. It's not a good response to trouble, to accuse the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, I've done that too. I've done just about everything. I've done that too. In, in, my, in my stress, in my anxiety, I, I've, I've sometimes said, I've said this, I said, Lord, how did, how did you let this happen? How could this happen to me? How, how did you let this? Why couldn't you have intervened here and you could have stopped this? I've said those words. I never get any help doing that though. God, I have never had God pot, uh, pat me on the back and say, I'm sorry, son. I, I just, you know, I dropped the ball here. It'll be all right. Just calm down. I've never, when I, when I talk unbelief to the Lord, you know what he says to me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, praise the Lord. It's probably better that way. Amen. Uh, like I said, blaming God will not help you. If God has sent you on a, on a path, if he has set you on a course in life, he is opening the way for you. I don't care what it looks like. He has not dropped the ball. Amen. And he's not going to. Now, the next thing we see that he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. That's a little, that's a little, uh, uh, That's not exactly what he said. That, that's a little soothing. That kind of soothes over the text. What, it, what Jesus said to the wind and to the sea was shut up. My, bar, my mar, margin of my Bible says it said, when he said peace, it says he said be quiet. <laughs> you have to have more, you have to have a little bit more gumption in your life when you're facing the devil than to be polite with him I'm sure Jesus didn't stand up and say be quiet he stood up at least in my mind and said shut up he's talking to the wind and the sea as if they were a, a person if, if it was like he's talking to a person or a, or, or a, a, you know other, some, other, some other kind of being There's, there is often personality, a demonic personality behind the situation you're facing. Now, not all the time, because sometimes we face situations of our own creation. I've, I've, guess what? I've done that too. I've done it all. And when you're facing a situation that you have created, rebuking the devil's not going to do a whole lot of good. I've learned that I've had to rebuke myself before I got any help, straighten myself out. But uh, here in this case, Jesus was speaking to the wind and to the sea as though he was talking to a person. He said to the wind and to the sea, shut up and be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Glory to God. Notice this. He didn't talk to it for 10 minutes. He didn't hold a conversation with the wind. He didn't argue with the sea. I, I remember so distinctly when I was in Bible school that Dad Hagen would teach, you know, in classes. Now, in, in the daily classes, you, you, you hear about Brother Hagen, you hear about all the great reports. In the daily classes, I never saw him 
the entire time I was there, all of the courses that he taught, I never saw Dad Hagen one time move in the spirit. I never saw him give a word. I never heard him give a word of knowledge, uh, minister by a special anointing. He stood behind the podium and just taught. And to me, it was just golden. It was just, I was just feeding on that word. And, uh, but whenever he would do seminars during the school year, he would conduct seminars they opened up to the public. They were for the students, but he invited the public. And uh, sometimes there would be ministry to the sick or just ministry, you know, to different things. And I remember on several occasions he had, you know, people come up to, to, that needed ministry. I don't remember what all the reasons were. Usually I think it was healing, but other times it might have been just people who were facing discouragement or, or were oppressed in some way. He would call people to come down. And, you know, it was a big auditorium, seated 2,000 people. It was usually full, not all with students, but with people in, from the public who were there. And, you know, the church the front of the auditorium would be just covered from one end to the other, you know, of people standing to be ministered to. And sometimes Brother Haken would say, now some of you, this particularly later in the, in the school year, he'd say, now some of you Rama students, come down here. I want one of you to stand behind each one of these people and I want you to pray for them. And I remember more times than not, the, the, more times than, than I can count, the, the people would get behind, you know, the person and they'd put their hands on them and they'd go into this long you know, just praying everything you could imagine. It's like they're just trying to dig up every scriptural expression they've ever heard and they're just praying and praying. And I remember Brother Hagin said, stop it, stop it. Don't pray a long prayer, pray a short prayer. Just pray and be done. Just pray over them and let it be that. Long prayers aren't necessarily powerful. It's faith that's powerful. Jesus didn't spend, like I said, 10 minutes on the storm because it was a really bad storm. And it was a really bad storm. This was an unusual storm. But he didn't treat it like it was anything special. He knew how to speak the command of faith. When you speak the, ma- the command of faith, make it precise. Prepare ahead of time. Don't just blurt out something. Now, you know, pray about it. So how am I supposed to stand against it? Get the wisdom from God and then just speak it and believe it. That's what he did. Amen. And uh, like I said, the enemy's always trying to stop us in, in fulfilling God's plan. Now, Jesus said here to them, and it says, And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? Now, if you go to... Go with me to Matthew chapter uh, Matthew chapter eight, I think is the story in Matthew. Yeah, that's only a few verses here. It's not as long of, of treatment. Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty-three says, When he had got into when he had when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so, so that the boat was covered with waves, and he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. Now, uh, Mark, Mark records that they said, don't you care that we're perishing? So there's more detail. But they were asking him to, to save them. And uh, they said, Lord, perish, uh, uh, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Now notice in Mark's gospel, he said they had no faith. But here, Jesus said that this records that they had a little faith. Well, which was it? Did they have no faith or little faith? Because the Bible says both. Jesus said both things. Well, the answer, I believe, is in the 8th chapter of Luke. Luke's account of this. It's the very same storm on the very same day that he was teaching all the parables and so forth. In verse 23, this is Luke eight twenty-three. Now it happened on a certain day as he got into a boat with his disciples, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. A lot of people launch out, but not everybody makes it to the other side. Amen. Always remember, you're going to the other side. No matter what comes up against you, just keep saying, I'm going to the other side. Amen. But as they sailed, sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filled and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy or in danger. They came to him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, Matthew said, they said, 
help us. Mark's gospel, they said, what's wrong with you? Why, why, why have you allowed this to happen? Don't you care? Uh, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the, and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Mark's gospel says there was a great calm. But here it says there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? I, I present to you tonight that they had faith in Jesus. They didn't have faith in themselves. Because why else, why else did they cry out to him? What in the world did they expect him to do? They, they knew more about storms than Jesus did. In the natural, as far as experience, they knew they were dying. What in the world would they, if they didn't, now again, like I said, they didn't know who he was because you can tell from their reaction when he calmed the wind and the storm, what did they say? They said, who can this be? They said to one another, they're looking to one another and said, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the, and the water and they obey him. They weren't expecting this. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were flabbergasted because they didn't know who he was. But the question that appeared to my mind was, well, what was it they were asking of him? They knew there was no solution. They had to have some faith in, in the Lord Jesus because, because in, in fact, in Mark's gospel, go back to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, we, we see a progression between Mark chapter 4 and in uh, Mark chapter, excuse me, not, not Mark chapter 4. I'm sorry, I'm in Matthew. Let me find Mark. Go back to Mark chapter I didn't write this down. Oh yeah, in Mark chapter 1. Look in Mark chapter 1. This is when Jesus cast the the spirit out of the man in Capernaum while he was teaching in the synagogue. Remember the unclean spirit cried out saying, "Let it, you know, the man with the unclean spirit said, "Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth?" And Jesus rebuked him again, said, shut up and come out of him. He didn't spend 20 minutes fighting the devil. He just said, shut up and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Now notice, then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new teaching, that word doctrine means teaching. What new doctrine or teaching is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around uh, Galilee. Here they were amazed at his power and they said, what is this? What kind of word is this? What is this is different from who is this? In Mark chapter 4, when Jesus stood up and 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 quietened the waves in the in the wave, the waves and the wind. They said, "Who is this?" They didn't know who he was, but they had from from their experience with him, they must have believed he could do something. So there was some faith on their part, but it was little faith. The problem was, he said, "Where is your faith?" He told them to go to the other side. And they should have stood up and rebuked them. Now, they wouldn't have known to do that. I understand. They weren't on that level. But he was teaching them a lesson. Use your faith. There are a lot of things in life that the Lord, when, as we grow and mature in the Lord, the Lord will require you to use your faith. Amen. He, he, won't, he won't let you... Uh, require him to move on your behalf without you doing something. He said, where is your faith? They could have, what he was teaching them was they could have done what he did. They could have rebuked the wind. They could have rebuked the seas. They didn't, they didn't understand that. They couldn't have. But he was letting them know, you've not grown sufficiently in faith. So whenever you're facing situations in life, know you can speak the word. 
You're qualified to speak the word. Otherwise, Jesus rebuked them unfairly. They were qualified. They could have done it. How, how could they have had the faith? How in the world could they have mustered the faith? These guys, how could they have pulled that off? Where could they have gotten this faith? This faith came by hearing the word. When he said, go to the other side, there was faith to go to the other side. Faith always comes from the rhema of God. Faith comes by hearing. Romans 10, 17, that word is rhema. Now, excuse me, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. So faith always comes. When God gives you an assignment, you can be confident that you have what it takes to get there. Now, that doesn't mean that, that God won't send people to help you. He will. But your part, your part, you have the faith to do it. You have the faith to complete the job. You have the faith to be the kind of employee that is demanded of you. You have the faith to be the kind of parent that's demanding of you. And that's one of the most demanding things you'll ever face in life. It doesn't matter if you have a house full like, like, like uh, uh, the Davenports over there or if you just have one child. It's, a, it's an awesome responsibility. And, 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 there's, and there are situations that face you all the time and you wonder, how am I going to deal with it? You can do it. Because God sent you for, he, he gave you that task. He gave you those children. And so the faith is there. I don't know how many people I've had uh, over the years, in, in, particularly when we were in the other church. Uh, there, there was a real uh, culture, and we still see it every now and then at our church, even here. We see people who st- come by and they want a handout. They want, you know, they want us to, you know, to, they're traveling from, Point A to point B, and they're just suddenly out of money. Somebody knocked on the door the other day and uh, wanted something. You know, do you give us? Can you give us any food or any money? And Kendra said no. She wanted to say, "Do we look like a bank?" Uh, but she didn't. She said, "No, we we don't do that." And he got all huffy. She didn't let him in. She was talking to him through the speaker. Is that right? And he said, "You mean you don't help people?" She said, "Well, you know, you can you can go to one of the charities somewhere, but that's that's not what we do." And so she looked on the, on the cameras. He goes out and he gets in a nice car. He said, don't, we, don't you have a benevolence fund? So this was a guy who had worked this, this scheme before. And he got into a nice, she said he was dressed nice. He didn't look like, you know, a, a homeless person or somebody that was down. Had on nice clothes, nice shoes, got into a nice car and drove off mumbling. So, you know, there, there are people who expect things from you that, that you don't have to you don't have to uh, give them what they want. But in a situation where God has called you, he will provide for you. And uh, so uh, if, you're, if you're called to, to be a, a, a leader, God will send people to help you do that. Amen. You don't have to, to, uh, to beg. So this great windstorm arose and it said that when he spoke to it, a great calm came. We, a lot of times, get focused on the greatness of the storm. And when you're in it, you're feeling it. I get it. But just remember, there's a calm coming that's greater than that storm. The calm was, it, it said there was a great windstorm, but there was also a great calm. When, when God, when you, when you speak the command of faith, when you do, and you stand in front of the devil, and you say, I'm going to the other side, I'm not going to be moved by this, there will come a deliverance in your situation that will be awesome. And it'll be something you can get up and testify about like, like many of you did last week and, and Riley did on, uh, uh, Rayleigh did on Sunday where she got up and said, you know, he's talked about her dad. He was in despair. He, he had given up hope. He didn't know what to do. He felt like he, felt like he was a failure. Just, I can't do this. I, God, God won't heal me. I don't know why, but it's just not going to happen. And, you know, when, the, when, when she gave him just a real short thing, small thing, just believe for something small, just something small. He didn't get something small. He got something big. They were building, believing for a millimeter. You know how little a millimeter is? Yeah, real tight. I don't even know, on a, how, how big was the wound? Four and a half inches. I don't even know that, that you could even see a millimeter. Within, you know, with swelling and all that, I don't know how you could even measure that, a millimeter. I mean, that's real small. But when he went back to the doctor, just because he, there was a great storm, 
But when he spoke the word of God, and all he said was, by his stripes, I am healed. You can't speak it any more direct than that. He just kept saying that. He went back the next week, and it was healed up an entire inch. That was a great calm. It, it, it changed his life. He was ready to believe for something bigger then. And so he went, how many weeks did he go back before it was up? So the second week, it went from a one inch all the way, the whole four and a half was healed. That's amazing. That's a great calm. That's a great victory. Praise the Lord. They always come. That's where wonderful testimonies come from. Amen. Things couldn't have been any more worrisome for the disciples after Jesus had been crucified. They had seen him crucified. They had seen him, his body taken down, put into a tomb. All of their dreams, all of their hopes, all of their aspirations, everything they had taught them. They thought he was the savior that was going to restore Israel. And now they've hung him on a cross. They've murdered him. They've put him in a tomb. And they're weeping and they don't know what to do. That was a, that was a great storm. But when Jesus walked through that wall... When he came through that room without opening any doors, there was a great calm in that room. God will come into your scene if you'll keep your faith in him. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Went a little bit longer, but I wanted to finish that. Praise God. Hope you got something out of that tonight. Amen. You have an assignment. Don't let the devil push you off of it. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.